we are here today to talk about. Um, okay, we are here. To, we are continuing our studies in the Book of Genesis, and specifically, we are continuing to talk about creation. And if you kind of stop and think about what Genesis one is saying, it is quite. I don't know, surreal? Maybe, maybe that's the word that we want to use. But what Genesis 1 is actually saying, if you actually think about it, is that God, it is God who created the reality that we know. Right? I'm, I'm sorry, not the reality that we know. The reality that we know is just crazy. But whether we know it or not, God is a creator of existence, and he is, the, he is responsible for reality. Whether we agree with his reality or not, whether we, you know, whether we are convinced that he is real or not, our perception of things, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that reality is in God, because he created all things. Right? What mental illness is, right? I was watching a documentary about mental illness. What mental illness basically is, is that people can't see reality for what, what it is. And they are trapped in the fantasy world that they made in their heads. That's what mental illness is. Maybe it's, you can fault biology, you can fault trauma, you can fault anything, but what biology or trauma and all these things do is they shape a form of reality. That is not true. God is reality. Right? How, what, how he made things, that's the reality. We are not, our perception, our opinions are not reality. And that's what Genesis 1 is saying. Right? God designed the world for speci- in a very specific way. Right? So I was at uh, a certain small group. I'm not going to, because this is being recorded, I'm not going to tell you which small group. But it's a small group that's kind of far away. Right? So in this small group that's kind of far away. Right? Um, uh, so you know, like, like the small group leader did a really good job about describing like, what's happening in Genesis 1. I was so blessed. And this person, the small group leader was saying, you know, like, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, especially day 4, I think, God divided the day and night, right? There was light and, there was, God created light on the first day, but on the day 4, God created, you know, God created to be seasons and days. And basically his point was, the, way, the reason why we experience morning and night, right, is because God created, God allowed it to be so. So what basically what he's trying to say is, every one of us here, right, experiences morning and night. And we get to experience this because God designed reality to be that way. All of us are living, living within the reality that God created, right? Creation talks about that. Like the trees and this floor and, 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 and this podium and my words, right? right? And, you're, and, and, and all these things that we're able to experience. Because God created that reality. So we can experience the, God's re- created reality outside of us, right? Through creation, night and day, seasons. But we also experience God's reality within ourselves, right? We experience it outside of ourselves through creation, right? But we also experience, we can tell God's reality because of our inner drive, of how we are made. 
Every one of us here, are, 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 every one of us here, we're designed in a specific way, right? We're different from the from the animals. We're different, and we're different because God created us in His image, and because God has made us in His image, there are certain parts of us, right, that testifies to who He is. That's what Genesis chapter one verse twenty-seven says. It says God created man in His image. He created and and. So what does it mean for God to create us in his image? The, the, the definition of him be, us being created in his image is we represent who he is. That's what it is. For example, like artist. Every piece of art, whether it is music, whether it is painting, whether it's sculpture, whether, even, whether it, even, even if it's movies, the purpose of every art is to communicate the, the, the artist's artist's intent. There is something that the artist always wants to communicate. And the, and, 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 and the artist communicates what, he, what his, his... The artist communicates his thought, his experience through art. Right? So everything that we see, everything that we... Like, it, all the art that we see has a point. There's a specific purpose. That's what, why the artist made those things. It is to reflect what the artist is. I'm, getting, I'm complicating things here. Us being made in the image of God means through us, God communicates to the universe who he is. Right? I'll give you a few examples. There are some of us who are very artistic here. Right? That's not me. But there are some of us who are, who are artistic here. And the reason why you have this drive and the ability to create it is because you are made in the image of the creator. Dogs do not make art. Right? Cats do not make films. Because they have nothing to communicate. They, because they can't create. You and I create. You and I have the drive to create. Because we're made in the image of the Creator. Us being able to create shows that we are made in the image of the Creator God. You understand? This iPad testifies to the fact that we are made in the image of the Creator God. You understand? Another example is this. Every movie, right? Every movie or every successful movie has a similar plot point, right? Good, vanquished, evil. That's what it is. Every movie that makes a billion dollars worldwide is a very simple narrative. Good, triumph over evil. That's what it is. Yesterday I was watching this movie with my wife, Phantom Thread. Have you seen it? Do you know about it? Have you heard about it, Phantom Thread? You look at me. No, I haven't heard about it. You know why you haven't heard about it? It's one of those, like, boring art movies about obsessive love. Right? And my wife loved it. I fell asleep. Right? You know why you never heard of Phantom Thread? Because they don't have that narrative of good vanquishing over evil. Have you heard of Harry Potter? Of course you do, you unclassy people. Have you heard of have you heard of all the superhero movies, right? Have you seen Batman? Of course you have. Why? Why are those movies so popular? Why all the, everyone, even, like from the corners of Africa to China to everyone, everyone loves the Avengers. Why? It's the same narrative. Good vanquishes over evil. Why do, why do we find enjoyment in all those things? Because we're made in the image of God. There's an inner desire in us that loves good, that hates evil. Because we're made in the image of a God who is good and who hates evil. Every single one of us have this drive. We don't know where it's from, 
But we, have, we agree on certain truths about life. And we agree on certain truths about life. It's because we're made in the image of the Creator. We have laws and not chaos in society. Why? Because God is God of law and not chaos. All of us, our inner drive testifies to the fact that, we're, that the Creator exists. So create, our experience outside of us, nature, creation, testifies to the reality of God. Our inner drive testifies to the inner reality of God. All of us are made in the image of God. God is a reality. What sin basically is, right? Because I always have to talk about sin. What sin is, is ignoring the true reality of who is God and thinking that our fantasy is a reality. What superstition is. You know what's the difference between truth and superstition? Superstition believes that God has to conform to my reality. That God has to help realize my reality. God exists to help realize my, fulfill my reality. That's superstition. Saving faith is I want to conform to the reality that is true. Very philosophical. Long introduction to the point that I want to make today. One of the ways in which we know that God is a reality is, and one of the ways, one of the evidences of the fact that we are made in His image is that we have the desire to work. We have a need to work. Right? Let's go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, Let us make man in our image, and let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all living creatures. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image. Right? He talked about that. The very next part of that same verse is so that man can have dominion over every creature of, of the earth. What does that mean? It means... Being made in the image of God means that we were made to work. The, work the, the, the meaning of the word dominion means manager. right? Ruling over things, taking care of it. Ruling, ruling over things by taking care of it and, by ma- and managing it well. That's what it means to have dominion. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Us being made in the image of God means that we are made in the image of a God who works. So us being made in the image of God means we're made in the image of God who works. Therefore, we have this inner desire, a need to work. Same thing can be seen in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis chapter 2. Why did God create man? So that he can place him in the garden so he can work the garden. God created you to work. Right? I know all the sermons out there every Sunday will say God created you to be loved. I, I guess. Right? But Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 says you're created to work. Because you're made in the image of God who works. Therefore, there's a desire in you to work. There's a need in you to work. It's true. I know there's some of us here that says, not me, man. I want to go to the Bahamas. I'm going to drink mojitos and Relax. I want to chillax. You may say that. But when you actually stop working, your soul will start to deteriorate. 
And that's a scientific fact. Study after study after study says people who retire early have a 20% chance higher rate of death. They will die sooner than people who, who work. Once people retire, their rate of the, the, the likelihood of their death it becomes faster than those who, who continue to work. There's inner drive to work. We need to work. I can see my father, right? I can see it in his friends. When my father retired, he started looking like an old man. He is an old man, but he looked really old. But when he started working again, you could see him coming back alive. That's with all of his friends. All of his friends who retire, they age very quickly. But when they get back to work, they're like young men. There is a spiritual need to work. That is why when you can't find work, that's why when you're unemployed, you're depressed. As horrible, as complaining, as hard as your work is, if you don't work, you will get depressed. Because you need some form of purpose, and that purpose often comes in the form of your work. This famous psychiatrist says one of the ways that he helps young men and women overcome depression is he tells them to find a job. Find any job. Right? Whether it's delivering pizzas, or working at CVS, or whatever, men, young men and women should find jobs. Because when they, find, when they start to work in any job, they start to have order in their lives. If they don't have work, they have chaos. It's disorderly. Therefore, they get depressed. I'm not, I don't know your life, but that's why young men who just graduate from college, who, who, who live between jobs, and who spend his or her, his days playing video games and streaming Netflix in the mom's basement, they're spiritually depressed. That's why you're doing all these things. You're spiritually depressed. You're spiritually depressed because you don't have work. You and I are men made to work. We die without work. Why? Because we're made in the image of a God who works. And the question is, if we're made to work, if work is so important, then why do I hate it so? Man, just thinking of me going back to the office tomorrow... Man, I told my I was sharing that small group that, that's far away. I say every Monday it's like I'm I go under. I'm, I'm like I'm like some marine captain. It's like Monday through Friday night I go under, and I, I'm lost in a pile of work. Right? It's just nonstop thinking about working like 14 hour days, and then on Sunday on Friday during small group time I, I come up for air, and I come up for air during the weekend and I go down again. So thinking about work kind of stresses me out a little bit. I'm pretty sure you too. If we're made to work, then why are we so stressed about work? Three reasons, I think. Number one, that's the curse. We're going to talk about the curse of Adam in the next two or three weeks. And one of the curse that Adam had to endure because of his fall, because of his rebellion, is that work becomes toilsome. Before the fall, work was easy. Work wasn't easy. Work was very fulfilling. Right? Creation cooperated with Adam's work. But after the fall, God says, what did God say? God says, I forget where I am. 
The ground is cursed because of man's disobedience. Right? Work is no long, work no longer becomes pleasurable, a pleasurable mission, but it becomes a burdensome toil. So that man, it's burdensome toil. That's the curse of Adam in Genesis three. That's why work is hard. Second reason why work is hard is not only that our curse. Work is hard because we live with, we work with sinful people. Right? The old company that I used to work for, even though it was a Fortune 200 company, it was a horrible place to work. Why? Because the whole company was moving in accordance to our CEO's greed and fear. The whole company culture was made up of, of, the, of the CEO's greed and fear. By the way, if you're greedy, you're also very fearful. That's what I realized. And because he's so paranoid, he like, shapes corporate culture in a sense where everyone's so nervous. It's miserable. Your work experience is miserable. Because of sinful people. Because of lazy people. Because of entitled people. Because of people who cause conflict and gossip. It's just a horrible place to be because sin is everywhere in in our workplace. And the third reason why work is hard is because we don't know how to rest in God. And that's what today's sermon is about. Our work is difficult. Because we don't know how to rest in God. So the question is then, what does it mean to rest in God? And that's what Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 about. What is Genesis chapter 2? What, 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 what do we study? In verse 1 he says, Thus the heavens and the earth was finished, and all, the, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work he had done, and, rested on, and he rested on the seventh day from all this work that he had done. So verse 2 says, God rested on the seventh day. He created the heavens and the earth. He created every, all things in the first six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now the question is, what does it mean for God to stop? What does it mean to God to, for God to rest? Right? That, what's the question? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean for God to take a break? The first thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God stopped working. God resting doesn't mean that God stopped working. Because if God stops working, what happens? Reality ceases to exist. If God stops working, electrons, neutrons, and protons, they stop moving. If God stops working, your cells stop to repl- your cell stops ceases to replicate. If God stops working, gravity ceases to fail. It will fail. If God stops working, the earth will stop spinning. Right? And the small group leader from the small group far away says, if the earth stops spinning, what happens? Half the earth is going to burn to death and half the earth is going to freeze to death. Right? Sean agrees, so that means I'm scientifically correct. If God stops working, then we're toast. We're like the end of Avengers. Like... We all disappear. Because God is the manager of reality. God never ceases to work. One of the qualities of God, one of the meanings of Yahweh means He is an inexhaustible source of energy. He is always at work. He is work within you. He is at work outside of you. He is. Even when we think that he is not at work. 
We often think, even we often believe that he's not at work because things don't go the way we think they ought to. When things don't go the way we plan, we think he's invisible, we think he's not working. That's not true. Whether things happen in the way that you view them to be or not, that, that's irrelevant. He still is working. Your cells are still communicating. You're healthy right now because your cells are still communicating with each other. Right? Your immune system is fighting off, what, like bacteria so that you're not going to get a cold. Right? Even the things that you cannot see, he's at work. Things that you can, can even things that are, that are beyond your perception, he's still at work right now. You don't know, for those of you who are going through something like, like maybe it's unemployment, whether it is conflicts or whether it is some form of fear, we shouldn't really fear. Because God is at work, you know? Because he's always at work. My family's going through something, right? And I'll tell you what it is and when you come talk to me. And it's going through the hardest time that my family's ever gone through. And we, and we prayed, prayed, prayed that God would change the circumstances. We did. We really, every single day that I prayed that God would change the circumstances so that we, my family doesn't have to go through this thing. But it's still continuing. That source of pain is still continuing. I said, Lord, I understand the theology of why you do the things that you do. And I understand all things under your hand. But Lord, this thing, I am begging you, as your son, I am begging you to take this away. Did the Lord take it away? No. It's a painful thing that I'm going through. That my mother is going through. And we beg to take it away. I said, I, I, I know theology, I know everything, but take it away. And God does not take it away. And the temptation is to think that God does not work. God is not working. But that's not true. Even if God is not taking these things away, He is still working. Because God always works. Right? Because our God is an inexhaustible source of energy. So what does it mean for God to, God to rest on the seventh day? It doesn't mean that he stopped working. It means he stopped the work of creation. He created all things on the seventh day. He ceased the work of creation. That's what it means. Right? He created all things on the seventh day. He ceased. So how does God rest on the seventh day? What does he do? Does he take a nap? What does God do? How, does, well, how, do, how do you think God rests? How do you, what, what are some things that God, God does to rest? What do you do? You take walks? I take walks. I'll take a walk today. What does God do? He rests by looking at his creation and taking deep pleasure out of it. He rests by looking at what he has, what he has made and going, wow! It is so good. That's how God rests. He looks at his creation and he marvels at it. Because all the things that created reflects his glory. And when he looks at his glory, he finds deep pleasure. It's like one of those cooking channel shows where, you know, that the, 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 the chef like, like, is hard at work and at the end of the, end of the show... 
like, you know, he prepares food for himself and he eats it. And they go, mmm, this is good. Mmm, this is good. And there's a deep pleasure in the way the chef, the, the chef experiences through his creation. That's what he's doing. He rests by looking at his creation that shows off his glory and marveling at it. That is how his people are commanded to rest. The purpose of the Sabbath day is not only to stop working and taking a nap, which is a good thing, good thing I suppose, but the main purpose of the Sabbath day is do what God did. Stop the process of working, look up, look at what God has done, what God has made, and deeply enjoying Him. That's how you find rest. Looking at God, remembering God, what He has done for you, and just being filled with it. Because this day of looking at God and what He has done is so important, God says, He has made this day holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to separate. He separated the seventh day from all the other days of creation and made the seventh day the most important day. Why? Because more important than the act of creating is for him to look at what he has done and marveling at it. More important than us doing things for the Lord it is, sim- is to simply look at God and what he has done and simply enjoying it and worshipping it, and marveling at it. Do you know what it means to find joy in the Lord? Do you know what it means to look at what God has done, what specifically what He has done for you? And do you know what it means to take deep pleasure in it? That's how you find rest. He not only made this day holy, He says, He blessed this day. What does it mean to bless the day? In Genesis chapter 1, the word blessing is used twice. It is used in uh, verse it is used in verse 22. It's, it says in verse 22 chapter 1 verse 22 says God bless every living creature saying and saying be fruitful and multiply. Verse 28, God bless man and woman by saying be fruitful and multiply. So the word blessing in Genesis chapter 1 is tied to being fruitful. Right? To, to have vitality. So what does it mean for God to bless the Sabbath day? It means when we know how to rest in God by marveling at His creation and what He has done, we find spiritual fruitfulness. We find spiritual vitality. We find spiritual energy when we look at what God has done. That's how you find rest. So, very practical example. So I work 14-hour days because, you know, I, just the way things are. Speaking of 14-hour days, where's my fellow workaholic here? I don't see him. Anyway, right? Whenever I look at that guy, I feel encouraged because fellow workaholic. So you, you work, 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 and then you have to write a sermon. It takes me 10 hours to write a sermon. It does. Really, it takes me 10. If you think preaching is long, I preach long because it takes me a long, I take like 10 plus hours to write it, right? And you would say, wait a minute, so you work 60 hour plus work week as a lawyer, and then you spend 10 plus hours crafting a sermon. Are you crazy? Why do you do this? You know why I do it? 
Because writing the sermon, I find deep rest in it. Thinking about God, studying about God, contemplating about God. You find rest, thinking about Him, talking about it. Yesterday was, I was writing this, and I was like, oh, like I, was, I had a writer's block. Right? Oh, at like 6 o'clock at night, I had a writer's block. I was like, oh, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go. So you take a walk, like an, like an hour walk, you think about it, think about it, think about it, pray about it, pray about it, pray about it. And you come back, and you start writing again. I started writing this like at 2.30, and I ended up at like 10. All day thinking about this. But I find such rest in it. Because I get to think about God. And it's true. How do I know it's true? I heard a pastoral podcast, past, like pa- podcast for pastors, and they were talking about spiritual burnout among pastors. And, the, and, 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 say, and say one of the cures of pastoral spiritual burnout is write more sermons. That seems counterintuitive, right? The way you overcome pastor burnout is to write more sermons, but, it, but I know what that person's talking about. Because the more you write sermons about God, the more you think about God, you find rest. If I was streaming Netflix eight hours a day, I think Daredevil 2 is coming up in a couple of weeks. If I was streaming Daredevil 2 for ten hours a day, do you think I'll feel as much restful as I am right now? No, I don't think so. Thinking about it. That's the rest. You know? That's why in our, in, our, in, our, in our church, people who lead small groups are addicted to small groups. You know why they're addicted to small groups? Because they get to think about God. Preparing for small groups, actually studying this. They feel their spiritual, they feel spiritual rest. They feel their spirits becoming sharpened. How do I know? Because I asked a small group leader from a small group that's far away, hey, you feel rest when you do this, right? And he said, yeah. Right? Therefore, when I ask you to lead a small group, I am not trying to burden you. Right? The reason, if I ask you to lead a small group, it's because I know it will benefit you. There's a rest that comes in thinking about God. And that's the commandment that God gave the Israelites. God gave the commandment, God gave, like, in the purpose that God commanded, the reason why God commanded Israelites to obey the Sabbath is so that they will remember who He is, what He has done, and what He will do. Right? Let's go. Let, let, Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, verses 8 through 11. God commanded Israel, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the Sabbath. So number one, the first reason why God commanded Israel to observe the Sabbath is to remember that God created everything. The reality exists in Him and not outside of Him. Right? Number one, so He's telling Israelites to observe the Sabbath by remembering that He is the Creator. Second reason for Sabbath, uh, second reason for the Sabbath is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. 
Why is Israel called the observance of the Sabbath day? To remember God is the one who redeemed them. Remember your plight in Egypt. Remember how I saved you with my mighty hand. That's what you're, what you're trying to remember on the Sabbath day. Remember my redemption work. Remember my saving work, Israel. Remember. On the Sabbath day, remember that I saved you. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12 to 13. Say, God said to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath. Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generation to come, so that you may know I am the Lord who made you holy. <coughs> Third purpose of the Sabbath for the people of Israel is during the Sabbath, Israel is to remember that they are a holy people, which means they are different from the rest of the world. They belong to God. Other nations do not belong to God. It is the nation of Israel that belongs to God. And that is what they are to remember on the Sabbath day. Sabbath day is not just to take a day off and to watch football. I'm not hating on football, by the way. Go Skins, right? Didn't we beat the, the Green Bay last week? Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I, I know my football, right? I'm not a, I'm not a Skins fan. Well, Patriots. you're applying for membership, right? Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. It's, 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 it's more than taking a day off and watching football or taking a nap. It is to remember God. That He is the reality. That He is the Savior. And that you belong to Him. Remembering that, being persuaded by that, because that becoming reality, that's how you rest. That's how you rest. If you don't remember that, if you don't know God as a reality, if you don't know God as a Savior, if you don't know that you belong to Him, you know what happens? Everything, you lose perspective about, on everything, especially your work. When you don't rest in God, when you don't remember Him, work, you begin to assign value to work that is not supposed to, it's not supposed to, you assign meaning to work that is not supposed to be there. When you don't rest in God, this is a cliche, but it's true. Work becomes your idol, especially if you're a man. Right? If you're not really, know, if you don't know what a rest resting God, work becomes source of your identity. You're valuable because of the position that you have. Or you're a loser because of the job that you because your job is menial. Right? When you divorce yourself from the full context of who God is, that something has to be God, and oftentimes it is work. Work becomes a source of your identity. And you can see this in the history of the world, right? I got this from Tim Keller, by the way. In the communist countries, right? Professionals like myself and my fellow yappies. I'm not a yappie. You know what a yappie is? I learned, I learned a new word at small group. You know what a yappie is? Young, I'm not young, young Asian professional. Right? High work small group, Right? Young Asian professionals, right? Right, professionals. Communists hate professionals. Why? Because professionals represent the evils of the corrupt economic system. So when communists come to play, they kill all the professionals. And they value menial workers. If you're a factory worker, you're one of us. If you're a lawyer, you have to get shot. Right? In capitalistic society, it's the opposite. Professionals, right? You're, you're valuable. 
right? Factory workers, you're not. See what happens? A life apart from God? People start to define one another based on what they do. It's crazy. Right? And you find, you try to find spiritual fulfillment at work. Your very purpose is tied to your work, which is crazy, because work was never meant to be tied to your purpose and value as a human being. That's what that work is, work is supposed to be. Work is valuable, but it's never meant to substitute your identity. Robin Williams, right? Did I tell you the Robin Williams story? His son made a documentary about Robin Williams. And his son says, my dad always had to make people laugh. Even in everyday settings, he needed to make people laugh. Why? Because his son, his son says, because my dad, if, he's not, if people are not laughing at his jokes, my dad feels that he's nothing. As wealthy as it is, as he is, as famous as he is, as acclaimed as he is, he needed to make people laugh every day, otherwise he will feel as if he is nothing. And that's all of us, isn't it? Apart from God, it is the work that defines who we are. And that's sad. And because you value work so much, Every little conflict at work means like, like, like you're, you're destroyed by it. And if you don't have work, you feel such like a loser. Because you're not, you don't know how to rest in God. That's the tragedy of the human condition, you know? Separate yourself from God, not knowing how to rest in Him. And you lose perspective about what, what work is supposed to be. What, is, what does Jesus do? What does God do? He sends us his son to give us new eyes to see. He sends us his son so that we will get new perspective about things. That is the work of Jesus Christ. Remember the three reasons for the Sabbath that, the, that God commanded the Israelites? Sabbath day is to remember that God is the creator. Sabbath day is to remember that God is their savior. Sabbath day is to remember that, God, that they belong to God. That three purpose of salvation, of, of the Sabbath, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Thing, all things were created by God through Christ. Jesus is a Sabbath rest because he is the agent through which all things are created. Jesus Christ is a Sabbath because he is the one who saved us. Just like Israel was in bondage to sin, bondage to Egypt for slavery, and there is no freedom, all of us were bondage to sin. We are slaves to sin. We are chained to sin. But Christ came and did his work. He did his work by dying for us. And by dying for us, he purchased us to God. We became God's people because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Sabbath rest. And when we are persuaded that Jesus Christ is the Sabbath rest, we get new perspective about everything, especially our work. When we are really, really, really persuaded that Jesus Christ is who we say he is, and when we really, 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 really trust in that, he does reshape everything. You know? 
me, I shared the story, and I'll share it again. There's this man, right, this pastor in England, who, who, who confessed that he had same-sex attractions. But the reason why he doesn't act according to the same-sex attraction is this. He says, I don't, I don't believe that I'm gay. I don't act according to my same-sex attraction because I really, really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I really, really, really believe that Jesus Christ is God. And I really, really, really believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And I really, really, really believe that I'm going to be made whole in Him. Because he believes in the reality of Jesus Christ. Because he's convinced of the reality of Jesus Christ. He can overcome his sin. Same way, like this. If you're really, really, really convinced that Jesus Christ is who we say He is, if you really, really believe that Jesus Christ is really the Sabbath rest, if you trust in that, He will reshape your vision about things. I, like, there are three things that I was, I was obsessed, obsessed about this past two weeks. Number one, Gospel of Mark. I mean, Gospel of Mark. Number two, I was obsessed with this debate between a Christian and an atheist. And number three, I was obsessed about, what was I obsessed about? Oh, work. Family is in there somewhere, right? So there's a debate between an atheist and a Christian. And the atheist, Sam Simon, says, you know, if human beings are rational, right, human beings are rational, and if you could just have a rational conversation, human beings can evolve. If you just tell human beings the right idea, if you just explain them the right way, then they will evolve. The Christian psychologist said, I've dealt with many patients who suffer from post-traumatic stress. Even if I tell them the right theories about post-traumatic stress, even if I tell them the correct theories about what they're going through, that won't change them. What changes them is an encounter. Encounter with something that is beyond them. Encounter with God. What shifts your perspective is the encounter with the living Sabbath, Jesus Christ. When you really, 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 really do trust that He say who He say He is, He really does shape it, shape everything. And I can tell you the way that I look at my work has changed. Look, I absolutely believe that God has gave me this work as a lawyer. He really did. He has called me to this firm for a reason. And I really believe it. I believe he's the one who sent me there. And I believe there's value in what I do. Really, I do serve my clients, and I do serve my firm, and I do serve my partners, and I really do serve my, my paralegals. I really do. And I will work there as long as God lets me work there. If God tells me, go somewhere else, that I will go somewhere else. I have this perspective about work. And because I have this healthy perspective of work, uh, sometimes I am stressed, but it doesn't consume me. And this is very different from when I first started as a lawyer. When I first started as a lawyer, every mistake that I made, I almost got a heart attack. Once I made this mistake, I thought I was getting a heart attack. Literally, I went to an emergency room. And the doctor says, you don't have a heart attack. You didn't have a heart attack. You had a nervous breakdown. Because I, made, I thought I made one mistake at work. But I'm, that work doesn't have that power over me. And the only difference is, my perspective about God, the reality of Jesus Christ, became broader and more real. Work doesn't define me. It doesn't define me anymore. And it's not because I'm such a great guy. But the more that Christ becomes real, the more you, got, you get right perspective. Do you understand? Look, last story and I'll end. I love Korean testimony stories because they're so dramatic. 
Right? And I, I shared this dramatic Korean testimony. It's so good that I only do it like every two years. I haven't done this in two years. I'm going to give you this in two years. You guys forget. Anyway, right? There's a story. It's a true story. Korean like, dramatic conversion story. There was this guy in Korea, right? Let's, let's call him Mr. Ch- Mr. Kim. Right? That's a very original. Mr. Kim. And he, had, he was like a CEO of a medium-sized company that he founded. With his two bare hands, he, he, he established the company. Right? It was going well. Economic recession happened in Korea. He lost his job. Went bankrupt. Yeah, that's, Korean people are like that. Like, like it, they, they go in debt everywhere. And when one starts to fall, everything like dominoes starts to fall. So that, that's what he did. He made a company, but it, it was a disaster. And he sold it. And what, happened, what, what ended up happening was, he became a janitor of the building that he used to own. So from a CEO to a janitor overnight, basically. Right? And because he is a janitor of the building that he used to own, he sees his old co-workers or his old under subordinates. Right? And he had to clean their bathroom that his old subordinates used. Right? Old subordinates, as Korean people do, they drink a lot. Even though we can't hand, possibly handle it, they, we overdrink and we throw up. His job is to clean up the, 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 the vomit of his old subordinates. Very depressing. The truth of the true story is this. He says, when he was a CEO, he didn't know Christ. When he became a janitor, he met Christ. And he says, I am happier, I am more fulfilled now as a janitor than I ever was when I was CEO. It's a true story. The only difference, I mean, there are a lot of differences, but he could say that because he knows how to rest in Christ, because Jesus Christ is really his creator, that Jesus Christ is really his savior, that Jesus Christ, he really does belong to Christ. When he has that perspective, what he does for a living as important as he may be, it doesn't own him. Right? And he could do the work that God has called him to do, which in this particular moment in time is a janitor. Do you know what, do you know what, what it means to rest like that? For those of you who are going through career job struggles, and I know because a lot of you tell me your job struggles, my boss is a jerk. My coworkers are a jerk. I'm going to get fired. I don't know when I'm going to get fired. I don't know. And you're so stressed about your work. But could it be that you're stressed because you don't know how to rest in Christ? Because you don't have the right perspective about your job. And you don't have the right perspective about your job because you have forgotten who Christ is. Maybe the solution is not a new job. Maybe the solution is not the removal of people, difficult people from your place. Maybe the solution is for you to be persuaded that Christ made you, that Christ saved you, and that Christ will fight for you, and that Christ will lead you. You need to believe in that to rest. 
pray for that kind of perspective. Pray that Jesus Christ will show you how to rest in Him. Let us pray. So we talked about how God rests today. We talked about how God rests by marveling at His creation and taking deep pleasure in, in it. We know how to rest when we think about God, when we are persuaded the fact that Jesus Christ created you, that Jesus Christ saved you, and that Jesus, you, you belong to Christ and, and one day that, that He will complete you. Being personally persuaded by that is the way you rest. Are you resting in your work? Are you, are you, are you, do you have a proper perspective about your work? Are you glorifying God in your work? Or is your work experience one that of constantly complaining and being in misery? I think all of us need to know how to rest in Christ. Let's pray that Jesus will help you how to rest in Him, show you how to rest in Him. Those of you who need prayer, Pastor Luigi is back there wanting to pray for you, and Julie's back there wanting to pray for you. So you can you can you can ask him to pray for you. But for the rest of us, let us just reflect about what was taught this morning and pray. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have tried to place meaning on work that was never supposed to be there. Even though we're designed to work, and there is deep purpose when we work, even though we were created to work, work was never meant to serve as our identity or as our self-worth. But Lord, we confess that we treated work that way. We confessed that we trusted in our work and our paycheck, paychecks as a source of security rather than the living God. If we're honest with ourselves, we hold on to the security that's, that money and our work seem to afford us rather than trusting in you. We get so much value, self-pride in what we do as opposed to getting our worth from knowing that we we belong to you. Father, we work for the sake of just getting money rather than serving you and other people. Work becomes our master. Work becomes our... our, our, We we become enslaved to it. We We start to define ourselves by it. Work becomes our God, Lord. And it's never meant to be that way. And work becomes our God, Lord, because we're not convinced that you are the true God. We kind of view you as someone who can help us at our work. 
but we never view you as, as someone who is more important than our work. And that is why, Lord, we have this unhealthy perspective about, 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 regarding our jobs. Our simple prayer this morning is help us to know and see and persuade us that you really, really did create us. That you really, really, really did die for us. And that you really, really do provide for us. And that we really, really belong to you. May the living God be the all-encompassing reality rather than our work, rather than the people in our lives. Teach us how to truly rest in Jesus Christ so that we will have proper perspective about our jobs and the people around our lives. I pray, Lord, for all of us with jobs, that you would give us a sense of correct mission for our work. May we not do it for, do it for, the, for the benefit of ourselves, but may you teach us how to truly work for the glory of God. For those of us, Lord, who are searching for work, I pray that you provide them with work. Even if it is work that is not what we have planned, what we have envisioned, what we have liked. I pray, Lord, that you will send us the work that you want us to do. Not what we want to do, but what you want us to do. Be it menial, be it, be it high paying, be it menial, it doesn't matter. What matters, Lord, is that you send us work that you want us to do. And I pray that we'll, we will receive it and glorify you in it. I pray, Lord, that you will bless the work of this church. I pray, Lord, that as the gospel is shared and as the truth is shared and as people are being conformed, that the, the, the life-generating work that is happening here will spread on through this community so that more people through us will know that you are the reality and not their work. All these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.